The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and Tua T Fitness. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the 100th episode edition. My name is Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, of course, as always, your friend and mine, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello, Tom. Like sea monkeys. <laughs> Parker Posey is the one ray of light in this pit of abject darkness that we're covering today. <laughs> yes. Happy so, 100th, everyone. <laughs> with, ladies and gentlemen, we are today uh, settling all accounts. Are, yeah. Are we not, Tom? We are going back <laughs> to the beginning for our 100th episode. And truly, this is the Superman edition we're talking Superman Returns today, Tom. Did you know this is our sixth super uh, verse movie that we've done? If you include yes. watch-alongs. Watch-alongs too, right? Yeah. That's uh that's that, that's quite a record. That's that, that's uh, 6 out of 100. No, 6 out of 110, let's say. Right. <laughs> by the by the time this airs. So that's quite a significant portion dedicated to one franchise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, yeah. It's almost, you know, I mean, we're saying 110, but let's just say it's 100. That's 6%. 6% of all these shows yeah. are Superman related. And I, I, you know, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, as am I. <laughs> I have no quarrel. So with why, any of so. That. Let's let's talk a little. Why didn't we do this when we did the Superman movies? Well, I know that you would blame me. I I I initially I did. I think I'm coming around having watched this two and a half hour movie. I'm starting to come around. Uh, it's longer than two and a half hours, isn't it? Yeah, it's like two. No, no, it's two. And a, it's two and a half. It's two thirty-four. Um. <laughs> I was e even questioning That's myself. That's longer that... than two and a half. I know, but I was even questioning myself that it was two and a half hours, which is not a position you want to be in with a movie. Um... Well, my problem up front is like at an hour 40, you think you're heading into the final act of this movie, which you are, <laughs> which you think should be 20 to 25 minutes, and it's mm -hmm. an hour. Or just under. It's like 55 more minutes. Yeah. He's Ooh. falling through space for a good 10 minutes. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, do, do you want to tell people about... So we covered... So the very first 
uh, we series we did. We started this podcast on yes. August 16th. That's correct. So we are just over a year. We are recording this. Well, we're recording this on August 19th. Right. Yeah. So not including the watch along we just did a couple days ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, we are right at the year mark, and this will be our 100th episode. And, and if are... that timeline sounds complicated, we haven't even got into the movie yet. Tell me about <laughs> it. Well, I mean, should we wait on the movie? Do you want Do you want to reflect a little bit on? I do. Yeah, I think. It, well, I mean, this the whole purpose of this this one off is to is as you say to settle accounts and to you know, and I think from time to time we should we should look back and see where we we might have missed something obvious, I guess. Because you mean like I, when you declared all of the Twilight movies? As no, good? I'm not talking about quality. Okay, that is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> but objectively, this is a sequel. That at the time, <clears throat> let's be fair, neither of us remembered was a sequel. Correct. We were both under the um, assumption. I still- I still kind of want to push back a little bit. Me too. And yeah, and you know, I, I we'll go we'll go back to this. I'll just put this down here. I want to I I want to invent a term for this movie, which is rebooting continuity. Right. Because I think that's what this movie is. But we'll go back to that. Um, and I I remember you saying I don't know if you've ever said this on on mic before, but you said you started watching it. Uh, did this movie and then realized it was supposed to be a sequel. Yes, like as it unfolded. Um, and so we both just conveniently forgot of its existence. Not its existence, but its as a sequel. Yes, its existence as a sequel. Yeah. Um, but you're right. There are problems. Within that categorization, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna disagree with you there. All right, but let's let's uh, let's let's back off of that for a moment. What are okay. your what are your thoughts and feelings of our uh, first year? And I mean, we're creating a bunch of shit at a prolific rate. Right. We have a hundred episodes of the podcast. How many watch-alongs have we done? Uh, well. Prob- when this comes out, which will be, what are we, what are we, what are we in like? October. October. Okay, then we'll have eleven, most likely. All right. Eleven watchalongs because we started in um, November last year with the Star Wars holiday special. Well, no one can say we're not creating content, friend. <laughs> that's yeah absolutely but you know i think there's been uh there's been quality to go along with it um oh at least a little we've we've <laughs> i think you know we've added new if not words then uh terms jargon to the english language yes the the imbass which I'll, technically I'll, is I'll, an acronym i'll give you full credit for that Oh well, yeah, um, yeah, I suppose so. But we've, you know, we've got the imbass, which is technically an acronym. It must be a sequel, right? 
Um, we have uh, legacy characters. Sequel inversions. Sequel inversions. <laughs> um, uh, surrogates, which are characters like characters from the original movie, but played by different people and with different names. Mm-hmm. Uh, the credit check. Just technically more of a segment. Right. The credit check is something that does exist in the real world. It's more of a pun, really. Um, where uh, where I talk about the credits of a movie. Uh, and, but that's, I mean, that's significant. Yes. You know, and and more, more recently, set, you know, new segments like To Catch a Stand-In and uh, Mike's <laughs> Memories. <laughs> what do I remember? The quotable, of course. The the uh, mm-hmm. you know starting and ending each show with a quote from the movie, which gives this podcast, I think, a, a quality not unlike that of HBO's The Wire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's certainly fuck. what I was going for. That's great. Yeah, I don't think any of that can be denied. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we we've covered a lot of ground too. Um, we really have. It's it's with regards to the amount we... of mo- individual movies and also series that w- complete series that we've covered in that time. Mm-hmm. Not just that, but I also keep thinking about what would what would the Superman series and say the Jaws series sound like today? After having done this for a year. Because those, you know, those were our first two series. So, Oh, you mean if we were to go... Is is the constant watching of sequels, does it change how you view those sequels now, I guess, is what I'm thinking. Absolutely. I mean, 100%. Uh, And interestingly... um, Another another podcast which deals predominantly with sequels with Gawley and Rust has just done a, a, a series of episodes on the Jaws movies. And, uh, you know, in terms of what they were saying about the sequels, we were overlapping a lot. But it also made me think that, uh, oh, well, maybe, maybe, you know, I was being too harsh on particularly Jaws 2. I agree. And you were being <laughs> too harsh on Jaws the Revenge. Um... <laughs> I do recall saying at one point, look, this movie is a piece of shit. Yes. And I think, yeah, there was a certain, there's a certain... Uh, and I stand by it. There's a Well, I stand by, I mean, I, I stand by a but lot of... But I also, I think I said at the time that it has a certain amount of charm. Yes. And that's what, that's what the line that they were pushing. But I think what's, what's interesting in that regard is really... You know, once you get to see a, a ra- the range of what's out there in the world of sequels, mm-hmm. your uh, your <laughs> your notions of of quality and scale change yeah. dramatically. You know, um, b- both in terms of what's good and what's bad, and it's it's really that's that's what's really kind of changed for me. Um, over this past year. And, you know... Well, and I think we were talking about this off mic just the other day on the Jaws subject because I was saying, I think I listed them in order, two, three, and four at that time. 
but I prefer three the most. Right. But I what I was saying was I that Jaws Two that. is the mm. most competently made movie. Yes, and I and there's uh, a real director behind Jaws Two. Right, and I think that's how I would approach things differently. Is to sort of I don't think Mr. Alves has directed anything since Jaws 3D. So <laughs> definitely not. And it shows. And it shows. But, but it's we... part of what makes it work. <laughs> Right. And, you know, we went into this, we both went in this trying and, and, you know, the key word here is trying to judge every movie on its own merits. Yes. And yeah, not that I'm saying that it's still not hard to do, but I am saying that my approach has changed towards that now. Mm -hmm. You know, that I'm learning to be less comparative um, yeah, I think I've said on the podcast several times that I think you're very good at that and better at that than I am. Mm, well, I do, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I think... I get very upset when the quality between film one and film four <laughs> drops so significantly. Right. And that's that's what's interesting in returning to, to this movie, to me, is... You know, a, a you know a reevaluation of of you know what we originally said about the Superman movies and how how much they declined. It's like where does does this movie change anything? Right. And I wanted to propose that we kind of look back at our rankings for the the Superman well, movies. I agree. And see, because um, I wouldn't say this changes everything, but. It's definitely a, it's definitely it's definitely a sharp reminder that everything in the world of sequels is completely relative to uh well in this context whatever piece of shit comes next. <laughs> right? Uh, yes. You thought you hated the last Jedi. You ain't seen the rise of Skywalker yet. <laughs> you know? And I guess that's the joy the joy of of uh of sequels is you can you have to revisit each movie after the next movie comes out and it changes everything which is why i'm you know to give you credit for something that you did with the format early on which i think is a big part of why we've been so successful at what we've what we've done is to uh you and ins- you insisted on having a a good, you know, that we, before we do a movie, we declare good or bad. Yeah. And then we rank. Yeah. And in the process of doing that, um, we're kind of, we're forced to take a lot of decisions that you could wiggle out of if you were just talking about them in a loosey-goosey kind of way. Right, right. Um, you must defend. Yeah. Um, and it, but then it, you know, but then you, you, you can occasionally go back and, and re reevaluate that if something else comes up, and the superverse is a great. We've example. done that in the middle of series. I, oh, in the middle, yeah. uh, in the middle of Die Hard, I, you know, I yeah. think I changed my ranking. And and you were some I, listening back. You were somewhat swayed by my Batman and Robin arguments. Yes, on the I'll, basis I'll, of I will admit freely, and that's that's I think that's the perfect example of. Uh, I, I was arguing at the time. I couldn't get out of how I felt in 1997, which was Mm -hmm. when you watch Batman and Robin, you're so far removed from T-1000 
Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah. That all I could think was, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but you rightly, <laughs> I will say rightly. Thank you. Said that on its own terms, Batman, Batman and Robin's not trying to be anything other than Batman and Robin. Right. And on those terms, I still don't like it, and it's still not good, but it's successful on and its the own first, terms. And the first iteration of that, uh, that formula, which I've basically been arguing, I realize, the whole time, is Superman 3. Yeah, right. And I think I've said at least But I agree with on you on that one. One of the watch-alongs that... Not enough to make it the highest on the list. <laughs> but, but to you know, to in, in, in looking at a whole series and trying to distinguish between two good, very good movies, you know, I've gone... I put the movie higher that seems to have a consistent vision, even if I think at times that vision is misguided. Mm-hmm. Severely misguided at times. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. It's the difference between, you know, a bad movie directed by a nobody and a bad movie directed by Ed Wood, you know? Right. It's like, it's like this guy's got a vision right. yeah, for what sure. he's doing. No competency, but he has a vision. <laughs> Which he's the, like the Flor the Florence Foster Jenkins of uh, of yeah, cinema, right, you know? right, right, right. It's like everyone lo- everyone loves it in in you know in spite of the lack of ability. Um, <laughs> and that that que- that question will I mean definitely come up with the next series we're doing. Um, oh yeah, you know it, it comes down to that question of you know do you want a serviceable movie or do you want something that. Take takes a big swing, which is you know um, another phrase we have. An, another phrase as well yeah. as well. I mean, another adapted phrase that I enjoy from you is in the pocket. I use that a lot now. <laughs> <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> which I, <laughs> which as I remember, you attributed to uh to quote singing shows. Yes, which is also <laughs> a phrase I enjoy. <laughs> Because that's the quaintest way you could describe that, uh, you know, that culture machine that is <laughs> the that X is Factor. singing shows. <laughs> the voice. <laughs> this cultural behemoth <laughs> of capitalist uh, repression. Singing shows. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I mean, let me just say that this past year and these past hundred episodes have been uh, just my greatest pleasure. I have so much fun uh, watching these movies and talking yeah. about them with you. I just told you off mic that I was uh, editing one of our episodes and laughing at ourselves while yes. I was listening to it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm so I'm so proud. Of, I'm so proud of this podcast. You know, I I, I listen to it. You yeah, know, me I, too. I, it's it's in my it's in my weekly rotation of podcasts along with some of the best out there. And that's not to say that we belong there, but it's to say that you know I'm a I'm a listener. I enjoy I'm a it fan. as much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know I'm I'm very I'm proud of, uh, I'm proud of the work that you've put into it to to bring us, to make us so legitimate as a podcast so early on, because you know you basically and there's no reason why anyone would know this. You kind of taught yourself to become a sound editor. 
essentially. <laughs> yeah, that's how. That's why I first started listening to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was more quality control. And then I grew into becoming a fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, you know, there's there's and and you know, Mike does all the editing. He does amaze some amazing artwork for for the show as well. I mean, I do amazing stuff too. Bad artwork. I, I, do, I do some stuff too, but uh, you 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 work your ass off. You do all the YouTube. Uh, you're yes. constantly posting for that and putting up the trailers for movies. I mean, come on, you're no slouch. Yeah, and uh, thank you. It's a, but welcome. I just I just wanted to, you know I just <laughs> because you know I spend so much time telling you what a terrible person you are. <laughs> I thought, you know, I'd use I'd use this milestone to to give you give you a compliment because it is really quite remarkable. And, uh, you know, I wanted to add with that. We don't often have guests on this show, but the guests that we have had so far are just the most amazing people within their industry, whether it's uh, screenwriting um, or podcasting and. That 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 accounts for all too. That accounts for all too. But I mean, <laughs> you know. It, but it's... I mean, what a great time we've had, and I look forward to building uh, more. You know, having more guests on. Sure. Yeah, but I'm I'm also happy this just being you know just being the two of us. Oh yeah. Uh, so, but uh, yeah. Um, so if you're you if you're if you're a podcaster and you're interested in in joining us on the show. Let us know. I mean, if you're good. Uh. <laughs> All right. Let's 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 take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll actually start talking about Superman Returns. How about that? Uh, sure, yeah. I All mean, right. that's, not the, that's not the biggest tangent we've ever been on. It is up there, but it's not the biggest. I'll say. <laughs> Stay tuned, everybody. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. 
Tom and I are here on our 100th episode discussing Superman Returns. All right, Tom. Would you like what where do you want to go first? Do you want to re-rank? Yeah, let's re-rank. To, let's talk about uh where this lies. Yeah, let's do that. Now, I remember uh that you went on our our, our first series way back a year ago. Uh-huh. I believe you went 3 2 4. Yes. I went in order 2 3 4. Okay. Where does Superman Returns lie for you? And I think this is a really interesting discussion, by the way. I'll just say up front. It is a really interesting discussion, uh, namely because... I guess the re- for me, the only question is... is it this goes ba- to exactly this- what we were just talking about, <laughs> about something like, what do you value more? Uh, this movie is at least mostly competently made. I disagree with that. <laughs> um, I, I understand what you're saying. I know why you're saying that, but... <laughs> but its biggest problems to me is not in the choices that its director, who, frankly, I don't even want to talk about. Be- because Because he's a piece of shit. Away yeah. from away from the camera, or yeah, because kinda. he's a piece of shit behind the camera too. In this instance, that's true. Actually, it's both. But we'll just say <laughs> it. This movie's directed. It's a 2006 movie. Everyone, Superman Returns, directed by Brian Singer, who we know from the Usual Suspects and the X Men movies and Valkyrie, and he's got and problems. hashtag Me Too. Yeah, and hashtag Me Too. Um, <laughs> that should be his first credit ever. So fuck that guy. But. I, what I'm talking about is, say, the difference between, like, Jaws 2 and Jaws 3. Well, so, to, yeah, the only question for me is, is this better or worse than Superman 4? That's the, the question quest for, for me, too. <laughs> and, you know, you know what I'm going to say is, it's really close. Um, because I think these two movies are fairly similar. There's a lot of bad ideas, some yeah. good ideas all covered with bad execution. Like, the yeah, bad execution is like a frosting, so you can't even see which parts of the cake are cooked properly. Now, be, be more specific. What are you talking about in execution? Um, Are you talking about what actors and acting choices? The... Director and directing choices? What are yeah, we... all of that. Yeah, All of it? Okay. <laughs> All right, fine. There's, there's a, a part. Of, I've already mentioned what I like about this movie, which is Parker Posey, uh-huh. and I don't mind James Marsden, and that's pretty much it. But this is a. Co- it's this... funny you say that because that's where I am too. Yeah, like, I mean exactly. <laughs> oh, good. But you know, I, I have exactly a really com- where I, am. I have a really complicated history with this movie. Um, I saw it when it came out in the theater in two thousand six. No surprise there. No surprise there. <laughs> if, if you've learned anything in 100 episodes, it's that uh, aside from a movie that was unavailable to see at the theater, Mike will have seen it at the theater. I'll tell you what is a surprise. I bet you've this even movie... seen like Return to Jafar in the theater like the one time they showed it there. <laughs> I haven't gone that far, I guess. <laughs> this movie has 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, and that to me is offensive. Well, I would have said that in 2006, because when I first saw this movie, I rather liked it. Really? Yes. 
And oh, I did not. In, yeah, well, I, I learned that that's how everyone else felt later on. But for whatever, re- for whatever reason, I think we have to remember that in 2006, there weren't a great deal of superhero movies. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're absolutely saturated with them now. And in 2006, two, maybe three, if that, came out a year. Mm-hmm. So it was more. It was. A, you had the X Men series. Yeah, and that's a and Batman it. and the Bat and the Dark Knight. Yeah, I guess the Dark Knighted. You were, but you know, it was it was a special event, and uh, I think there was enough distance from from me and the Christopher Reeve movies to actually appreciate um, the nostalgia that the movie has for that uh, that series of films. Well, and that's the thing that's really interesting to me is that I only think that it's the director's admiration for those movies that connects this as a sequel to the other movies. Yeah, well, yeah, we we can talk about that in more depth, but I mean, that's definitely the driving force here. Um, But anyway, it was only until the movie Ted, the outro of the movie Ted, that I realized, (laughs) which is a Patrick Stewart voiceover... In which he, they, they, he, he, I say Patrick Stewart, we know it's Seth MacFarlane, is letting loose on Superman Returns and what an right. awful movie it is, apropos of nothing. Um, <laughs> that I, 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 I got the sense in the movie theater at the time, it's like, do other people not like this movie? And the only time I've seen it between then and now, uh, between the theater and now, was a Spanish language version at my in law's house where I was. Uh, guessing all the dialogue and they thought I knew Spanish a lot better than I did. <laughs> so I, I conned them into thinking I knew more Spanish than I did just because I could tell what they were saying because it's a fucking <laughs> Superman movie and all the dialogue is pretty much taken from other Superman movies. Um, were you already married at the time or is this how you got permission? <laughs> I might have. <laughs> yeah, I think... How I much think... do you owe to Superman Returns? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I I don't remember. I wish I wish I could. Re- I think it might have been a. I I think it might have been. It could have been a turning point. That's um, fine. But having watched this after a year in which I've seen um, all the Superman movies at least twice, uh, I probably have more problems with this movie than anyone's even thought of yeah. before. Like anyway, like I, I get the sense that at some point people stopped looking for problems in this movie because they were so bored, and they didn't want to have to watch it again. Right. And I, now I'm finding flaws with it that are based on it not living up to Quest for Peace, which is not an angle most people kind of right. <laughs> and that's where that's, here, right? <laughs> that is where I came out. I. I mean, I think I made it clear how much I disliked the quest for peace. (laughs) Yes. However, that movie is, that movie is on a level in which from the beginning, it's like kind of predictable as to how bad it will be. Interesting. I like that. Yeah, when as soon as the Canon logo comes up, you know what you're getting. <laughs> right, exactly. And the titles, which, as we said the, at the and time, the up titles make right. no geometrical it's sense. Make no sense. <laughs> you think, what is going on here? And then when you see John Cryer, 
you're like, okay, I know exactly what this movie is going to be. There's never a time in Superman Returns, you're constantly just hoping for this movie to get better. Yeah. That's what I remember when I first saw it. And I remember going into, like, when when you see credits, the opening, speaking of credits, mm-hmm. when you see the credits open up, and they're so very similar to the original credits, and you've got the original score going, mm-hmm. and I'm rah, rah, rawing. I, I mean, I am ready for that movie when that movie opens. Yeah. And so the journey that I go on with that movie is so much more aggravating. Yeah. Uh, that for me, it's at the bottom of the list. Yeah, that's what I went with, too, eventually. Uh, like I said, I think... And I that think, is saying something. I think they have a lot of the same problems. In the, do you know what it came down to in the end for me? Uh, no, it came down to... If, if I had to sit down and watch one of these two movies now, what would right. I pick? And I just went, yeah, Quest for Peace. I yeah. I, I would pick, you know, uh, Christopher Reeve over Diet Christopher Reeve any day. Exactly. Right. And that's not really on the movie... And I'll take Gene Hackman oh. 100% of the time. Even when he's not looking at other actors and couldn't care less <laughs> and is phoning it in in the worst I, way possible. I, said I will exactly still take the, him. I said exactly the same things in my notes. I said that even when Gene Hackman is <laughs> dressed as Run DMC right. <laughs> and his later character from Crimson Tide... It never feels cartoonish in the way that it does when Kevin Spacey puts on a typical Southern guy disguise. And that's, I mean, that's an overall note for this entire movie. For how it's directed, for Kevin Spacey, for Brandon Ruth, for Kate Bosworth. Remember when I said that uh, Val Kilmer was playing the idea of Bruce Wayne? They're all doing the same thing. It's like whenever... Yes, I mean, they are... Certainly with Brandon Ruth, uh, maybe not the other two so much, um, Brandon Ruth is doing an impersonation of Christopher Reeve that is all form and no content. Yes. And he's clearly he's clearly been directed to do that. So I'm right, not, I right, don't want right. to lay this at his door because uh that was one of my other biggest takeaways was Brian Singer was missing the mark. For somebody who clearly revered the old movies, he could not create the magic that uh, Richard Donner did. Well, let, let's talk about a little bit about Richard Donner because another revelation that I had watching the movie this time was how closely it was bound together with the a movie that came out the same year, which is the Superman 2 Richard Donner cut. Right. I didn't realize that these two movies were two sides of the same coin. Because mm-hmm. firstly, for those of you who don't know, Superman, the Super, for Superman Returns to be made, there had to be, they had to clear legally a lot of the unused footage from Superman 2. And those clearances allowed a Richard Donner cut of Superman 2, which right. the theatrical version was... Um, was uh, Lester. Was sort of Richard Lester, even though Richard Donner had still directed the majority of it. Yeah. Um, and really, I think 
that's the missing piece here is you have to know it, it, the agenda of this movie is about reestablishing Richard Donner as the author of the Superman movies because that's the that's the only way in which certain decisions regarding timeline Marlon storytelling Brando. execution make yeah. any sense right but certainly in terms of what you're seeing on screen nothing's adding up as to why no. you would go down this particular route and I think that is that is to me that's the revelation this time. It's like, oh, they came out in the same year. They couldn't exist without each other. They're both made for essentially the same purpose. Yeah, to reestablish Richard Donner as the um, as the the author true of author Superman. of yeah. Superman, right? And to erase Richard Lester and uh, all subsequent um, Superman that had no you know had no Donner involvement from history. And that's one of the notes that I remember reading was was the director had decided that this was more of a direct follow up to Superman two. Well, let's talk about let's talk and, about and ignores three and four. Let's talk about that because I've got a lot to say about that. But mm-hmm. first off, especially given that we both decided this is a worse movie than Superman four, that's a big problem. Right. Um. Because firstly, it seems that the only reason that this is a direct sequel to Superman 2 is because his mother is still alive. Mm-hmm. Because she is killed off killed off screen in Superman 3. Right. When he goes back to Smallville, his mother's dead. Now, I would be invested in that if Martha Kent played any role in this movie. Right. <laughs> She can't even I, I get like into the, the idea. hospital room at the end. I like the idea that, oh, this is a way bringing her back to life is is a is to explore a relationship that we've seen very little of. I mean, even compared to, um, you know, his his Earth father, we've not seen their relationship. Right. But she's literally in this movie for a scene and a cameo. Yeah. And most of it is about his relationship with Marlon Brando's Jarrell. So it's not even about mothers and sons. It's about it's it's, it's a movie about fathers and sons <laughs> right. that changes its own timeline in order to bring back a character that it does nothing with. Which is why I think this that is a smokescreen for um we want to get three and four out of canon for reasons other than the story. Yeah. Because why else would you erase those movies? Why else would you erase? Yeah, exactly. And. To be fair, you know, the goal to do, to erase, you know, Superman 4 and then to take dialogue scenes and themes from that movie. (laughs) You know, I mean, Brian Singer's balls get get him into a lot of trouble. But here I think they get him into trouble too because that is... Personally and professionally. Yeah. Also, also, if you if you steal if 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 you decide you want to steal from the quest for peace, maybe you need to aim a little higher (laughs) with your material. (laughs) Well, be more specific. So, for for those that maybe can't, you know, those who don't want to sit down and watch Quest for Peace, like what what. What themes? What things are? are uh, is Brian well, Singer stealing? In, term, in terms of dialogue, when he um, 
when he saves a plane slash uh, space shuttle, which now exists in our own reality, as Why piloted is by Richard always Brass. Always saving planes, like in every piloted by Richard Branson. And fun yeah. fact: I watched this movie on the same. <laughs> I watched this movie on the same day that Richard Branson returned from a real life private space flight. <laughs> wow! So that may be one of the few things that this movie got on point. Um, he comes down and the dialogue he says about the safety of this vehicle is lifted from Quest for Peace. And I'm sure that comes from like a 1930s Superman as well, but it's in Quest for Peace got there first. The idea of Well, him but he go- even talks about, because in, is it Superman 2? When the she she's in the helicopter? Doesn't he have that line in that movie too? Yeah. About air travel? Yeah. And uh, um, the whole idea of him going back to it, going back to the homestead, yeah, that's something we saw in Superman for him rediscovering the crystal in the barn. Um, that's all there too. The whole theme of like you know world peace and can we trust Superman? Superman's gone. That all happens in Quest for Peace as well, right? Um, so. It's a, it's just a it. It's a movie that that is kind of hinges on its faith in the Superman movies, but it's cutting out most of the history of that in order to do it. Right, and I find that objectionable. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> All right, let's take another break, and then we'll come back and we'll dive deeper or fly higher with Superman Returns. Oh, I like it. Not bad. Let's fly spasmodically like Superman does in these movies. I'll say. All right, we'll be right back. Let's see it. (laughs) Stay tuned, everyone. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the 2006 film Superman Returns. Uh, I didn't mention this, Tom. This movie 
known as a flop, was successful. I, 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 I'm most baffled by the idea that they gave him $200 million for a budget. That's just mm. ridiculous to me. But it had an opening weekend of 52.5, made $200 million in the USA, so it made its money back, but $391 million worldwide. But okay. none of that was enough to bring everybody back for another turn. Well, here's a question. Was this meant to be a one-off all along? No. You know that for sure? Yeah. Okay. But... Then why ha- then why have the kid? Anyway. Is that kid <laughs> going to grow up in the next movie? What were they going to do with that? I. That's what I mean. Well, that's what I want to talk about next. Uh, this movie writes itself into so many corners... It's astounding to me. Yes. I, you know, I have so many notes because there was a version of this movie that J.J. Abrams had written. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Was like way... Speaking of writing yourself into a corner. Right. So (laughs) he had written something that I guess completely ignored canon completely and Brian Singer dismissed it and started over. Uh because of what he wanted to do. And then you have this weird hodgepodge of a movie that's trying to stay connected to Superman 1 and 2, disregard Mm -hmm. Superman 3 and 4. Yes. While all the while simultaneously making choices for characters that seem out of character... For the canon. I mean, it's, it's yeah. you know. You you have put it better than I have ever heard anyone say it. Thank you. But <laughs> what you say makes no sense. <laughs> no. <laughs> that is exactly what this movie is. Lex Luthor is the greatest criminal mastermind known to mankind. So I don't know why he has to marry an old woman for money. And also, yeah, but you're absolutely right and you say in the name of canon because it's sort of like, oh, well, this will cause a continuity problem if we don't segue from the end of Superman 2. Yeah. Where actually, he's never seen being put in prison, so you got that wrong, Brian Singer. Right. Maybe if you'd have started this from the end of Superman 4, it would have solved a lot of problems. <laughs> um yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, the biggest one for me, in terms of it, it, it's it's minor because he's a more minor character, at least in this movie, is when is Jimmy Olsen is represented as being unable to figure out how to take a photograph. Remember his he his, his job, job as a photographer, and yet he's the one who figures out the secret plot of Lex Luthor. Yeah. So when as soon as you said people By the making way, decisions Lex out of character, secret plot is the same plot from the first Superman, just on a different coast, and instead yeah. of destroying part of the coast, he's building a new coast. But then I think that's exactly what you're talking about about this confused approach to canon. This yeah. idea that again rebooting continuity. Those two things cannot exist together. He has the same exact plan. Yeah, Real but they're but they're thinking it's character consistency because oh we know he's into land exactly scams. exactly. So this is the ultimate land scam is to make a planet full of a, pla- a planet made of kryptonite. <laughs> right. 
Everything about that makes sense except the decision they come to. <laughs> it's like someone ca- this because I know what I'll re- do. I'll destroy all the good land in America and create a barren land of kryptonite. But this, I mean, they, um, they build up to this through uh, a trope that I've seen in, in the, the Star Trek TV series and to an extent, the movies where they, they take a difficult, complex scientific idea and boil it down to something relatable. Hence the sea monkeys line. Right. Um, but Sea Monkeys is dumb, is even dumber than the parodic version of it in Futurama, where Bender says, like taking air out of a balloon. <laughs> um, well, let me, uh, <laughs> let me, let me discuss my biggest problem with this movie. Oh my God. That's not even your biggest problem with this no. movie. My biggest problem with this movie is that child. Okay, it's not mine. Well, it should be. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like that he's asthmatic and that holds him back from achieving his superhero status. Right. So Fuck you, anyone who's disabled in the audience. (laughs) Exactly. Eat a dick. Weak. Weakness. So, what this means... Because, all right, within the guise of this film, by the way, a lot of this film takes place at the Daily Planet, which is supposed to be filled with professional fucking reporters. Superman's right. been gone about five years. So is that has, how long it's been? I think so. And now everyone's younger than they were when he yeah, left? Yeah, exactly. And so okay. has Clark Kent. Just saying. For the exact same period of time. Exact same period of time. Bit of a big clue. So he comes back to work at the Daily Planet with his luggage so that we can see that he's clumsy. (laughs) It's like if they asked a child to make a movie. (laughs) Right? Exactly. Well, we got to see his luggage. How else would he know he arrived? All right. But (laughs) as we know, as we discover because he throws pianos, the child... Mm -hmm. Of Lois Lane is Superman's child. Yet Lois Lane does not know that Clark Kent is Superman. Mm -hmm. That means that Superman put his super penis in her vagina and then had a kid Mm -hmm. without ever revealing to her that he's Clark Kent. Meaning... (laughs) He kept a part of himself completely away from her. I mean... Maybe he just date-raped Kister before he left. I, I was just going to say, like, unless he date-raped Kister, that, you know, this is, this shall not stand. That That's how you know this movie was made by a fucking predator. I have exactly the same notes here. Um, I, I put a note when... Clark Kent was um, was skulking around Lois Lane's desk looking for, like, yeah, mementos. I don't right. know. I don't know what goes on in Brian Singer's mind. I thought, oh, it's interesting that they've doubled down on the kind of romantic creepiness 
of the Clark Kent character, you know, the date, as we said, the, the date rape kiss. Yeah. And then my next note was, well, that's hardly likely to recede in a movie directed by Brian Singer that also stars Kevin Spacey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's so interesting to me when it comes to Lex Luthor, we never had this dimension of Luthor as a sexual manipulator before. Uh-huh. But, but but it's the first thing we see right. <laughs> is him sexually manipulating an elderly woman. An elderly woman. Boy, That's this minute movie one. has problems. Hmm? That's minute one of this movie. Yeah, and you know, you know, I mean, this movie obviously thinks it's superior to whatever Richard Lester did with the series. Clearly. But I don't think, but... I don't think this, I don't think, Richard Lester ever stoops so low, even for a gag, which we know he ends every scene with, yeah, and begins every scene with, and there's a few in the middle, um, of a dog literally eating another dog. Yeah, exactly. And then calling back to that at the end of, end the, of movie. the movie. Right. The unifying theme of this movie is eating dogs. Is is eat it's whatever's there movie. when you're hungry. <laughs> You know, but just to me, like to me, the idea Superman of... three is not about Superman, but it ain't about eating dogs, right? And it's about what so like I, I just I just find it, I find it offensive that there's just, there's no relationship common sense. Oh, um, you're right. The idea that Superman, who stands for truth, justice, and all that other stuff, as, as Barry White uh, would have Does said. Does he say that in this movie? Yeah, yeah. Well, Frank Langella just checked out, didn't he? <laughs> no, not really. He was asked to check out. By, what? By Brian Singer. And was he we, asked to become a horrible misogynist as well? No. I bet he was. <laughs> no, he probably was. That was just... That was just Brian Singer's blind spot, but he, they did not want him to be cantankerous because they did not want him compared to J.K. Simmons from the Spider-Man movies. This, this is making me angry. Right? Anyway, if if, if we're we're talking about, if if we're talking about Avengers, I'm ready to hulk out. (laughs) Well, just to me, the idea that you take The thing that works so great in the first two Superman movies is Clark Kent is falling in love with Lois Lane. Yeah, she acts like she acts like they once they once like uh, brushed past each other at a office party. They like barely know each other in this movie. They went to (laughs) in this timeline that that they went to would not tell her who he is mm. you know and then, oh none of it makes sense oh i mean it's just like it's fucked up and gross i was gonna say that they've been to niagara falls together and then i was gonna say he saved her life and then i was like he kind of saved her life yeah and the, he did the he did the bare minimum to save her life <laughs> <laughs> but that that's sort of like I don't know where anyone's getting that this comes after the end of Superman 2 because this makes way more sense if it just comes straight after Superman the movie. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's a real direct sequel in that sense because they cover so much of the same ground in Superman 2. Right. 
Um, not least that Lex Luthor seems as if he's never been to uh, the Fortress of Solitude before. <laughs> she even says, she even... Uh, I, Kitty? What, yeah, Kitty. She she says, it seems like Parker you've Posey been here before. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this, this movie wants to have its canon cake and eat it. And, and eat it too, right. Uh, and then at some point it becomes a Christian movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm not saying that there's Christian allegory in this movie. I'm saying that this is a Christian movie in the same way Passion of the Christ is a Christian movie. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a cru- there's a crucifixion scene. There's a sort of Christ being you know, crown of thorns scene. I suppose you would call that pre-crucifixion. I don't know what the, I don't know what the ecclesiastical term is. Um, then you have him ascending to the sun. Lex Luthor does the Jesus pose. And then he falls from space like a religious painting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you talk about that last hour of the movie, that last hour of the movie. That's what happens, basically. It, it's uh, and it takes so long. Well, like yeah, it's it's that kind of it's the pace of a of a kind of like a Christian, uh, yeah. uh, you know, like a, a a crucifixion movie. Even the airplane set piece at the beginning. I mean, that thing's like fifteen. I have a theory long. about that. I have a theory about that. I think. In 2006, for whatever reason, they think their effects are way better than they are. Oh, I was just going to bring that up. Yes, you're completely right about that. Because that's one of my biggest notes is that this movie thinks it looks better than it does. And the effects can't do what they want it to do. And some of that is is taste-based, I think. Uh-huh. Like, a, a lot of that is just, it looks shit. But some of it is... I mean, I made a I made a facetious reference to his spasmodic flying, but if you compare that to the fluid, elegant, graceful wire work of yeah. the first, uh, at least the first three movies, <laughs> <laughs> it's not just about the you know the quality of effects. It's a you know it's like so yeah, you can digitally render it, but it's that it's a moving away from and we even talked about it when we did the supergirl watch along i was just in awe of that sequence where she's she's just flying around no one around no one is watching her she's just enjoying the landscape mm-hmm. and here it's it feels so whenever he flies it feels like so stop and start and you know he jolts everywhere yeah. it's just it's not nice to look at and I think at the very least, him flying should be nice to look at. I mean, maybe that's just me, but mm-hmm. it shouldn't feel painful. Right. To, right. It shouldn't, it, it shouldn't, you know, like give you a cramp to look at him fly. Yeah. I actually, my note here is uh, that this movie is CGI sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a really out. bad police procedural. Yeah. <laughs> CGI, colon, sloppy. sloppy. Although I'd actually quite like to... I guess that's Brooklyn Nine-Nine, essentially. Right. (laughs) I also say that this, you know, I say um, we're 53 minutes in and it's just breakup angst. That's all this movie is. I I have a note here that says we're an hour and 30 minutes in until we finally know what Lex Luthor's goddamn plan is. Mm Mm-hmm. 
followed by an hour of him trying to do the plan. Yeah. The an other hour. thing about just just before we leave the the plane, the the plane sequence, a couple of things I I observed there just you know because this is a hundredth episode so we can't go without a bond reference no of course not i thought there was a very moonraker quality to the sequence and also to go back to a movie that we've previously done just the idea of having a space shuttle on top of a plane to me that's pure moonraker uh-huh uh also airplane 2 the idea of like erasing the distinctions between <laughs> between flight and space travel right um yeah, so just wanted to to oh yes, and the other and in, in reference to the canon, the thing this most reminded me of from a Superman movie was uh, the Ross Webb's the game the video game that Ross Webster plays in the supercomputer. Right when he was lifting the shuttle off the plane, right that angle looked just like that video game for a You're second. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I guess I guess once you know you get into that Venn diagram when you have poor CGI meets early 80s video game graphics. You know, you're right in the pocket there. <laughs> in the pocket, baby. <laughs> yeah, this movie I said, I wrote down, this movie just plods along with almost nothing happening. Mm-hmm. It's it's horrible, I think, that that plane sequ- the, the plane rescue sequence was when, <laughs> and this is never a good thing to think in the middle of a movie, it's like, I already know where that la- that extra half hour is coming from. Right. Because this is like half an hour longer than most Superman movies. Yeah. Apart from the first one, I think. Um, which is about the same length. Uh, pre- Pre-Snyder, obviously. It goes without saying. Goes without saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, yeah, that, you know, you should... You, you sh- even If a movie's over long... You should still be thinking, what's left? You shouldn't be thinking, well, they've already wasted my time, so yeah. of course, <laughs> exactly. of course, this is going to be half an hour too long. Right. All right, let's take another. Let's take one more break, and then we'll come back and we'll finish up with Superman Returns. How about that? Uh, just try and stop me, but Very don't try then. too hard because we're also talking about Superman Returns. <laughs> right. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by the Sounds in Cinema podcast. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds in Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound-related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to stay on target. 
That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we're back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the 2006 official sequel, Superman Returns. <laughs> the way you, sorry, the way you said official sounded like a burn. <laughs> There was so much judgment in that official. <laughs> you want to talk about judgment? I also have this note. I said, uh, early on, <gasps> Superman's day drinking again like Superman 3, except this time it's Clark Kent and he's drinking Budweiser. Mm. This movie is the Budweiser of sequels. Yes. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate this movie so much. Yeah. It's it it I don't know if um is this a movie that gets worse on repeat viewings? And most people weren't like me and liked it in the first place, but Yeah. <laughs> um But I think it's funny to me that I mean, maybe to your point that there weren't a lot of superhero movies at the time, but it did make $200 million. It has 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. But this movie is remembered as a dud. Mm-hmm. As a piece of shit. I, 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 think that's, it's, I think that's how it's remembered. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't... None of that adds up. Right. <laughs> none of it. Exactly. Not, even, right. even the statistics don't add up here. Um, and I, I'm I'm just I'm trying to think of reasons why it could ever get to seventy five percent. And the first thing's popping into my mind is the return of Marlon Brando as Jarrell. I mean, I, that's got to have a that's got to have. But again, just watch the Donner, just watch the Richard Donner cut if that's what you're into, right? Because you get a decent Superman movie attached to it. I noticed, uh, I also wrote down at some point, I said, Lois Lane, given nothing to do. Uh, I mean, you could put a wig on a lamp and it would make no difference. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kate Bosworth. And I generally don't like Kate Bosworth, but I'm not going to lay too much blame at her door for this. No, but, I don't. Uh, I, I think I lay almost all blame with Brian Singer. I think Brandon yeah, Ruth she's completely is doing what he's asked to do. Right. So, he, I mean, it's curious what he's trying to get his actors to to do. I do blame Kevin Spacey. I do blame Kevin Spacey because he's complicit in making Lex Luthor devoid of charm. Yeah, exactly. And he's playing all the nastiness and none of the charm. And none of the charm. He's playing one dimension of that character. Um... I am reminded of... uh, History is shown why. Yeah, I can't can't remember if we talked about this before, but I'm reminded of Alec Baldwin had a one-on-one talk show short-lived that I think it lasted only a couple episodes. But Jerry... Yeah, because he, he, you know, whenever he gets to success, he punches someone. He punches someone. That's how he celebrates. He breaks the law. Gets canceled. He had Jerry Seinfeld on, and of course, we know they're good friends, and he's been on the Comedians in Cars several times. But yeah. they, this is right when Me Too started, and mm. they talked so earnestly about what was happening at the time. And 
And I think Jerry Seinfeld asked him, he's like, do you, do you know Kevin Spacey well? And he said, I mean, you know, I know him. Yeah, certainly we've been to lots of functions. And there was always kind of a sense that when you're talking to Kevin, he's not really talking with you. He's he's scanning the room for someone else to talk to. He can really kind of smell himself. Mm-hmm. And that, well, that's how he comes across that as an description actor, is exactly his performance. Yeah. I cannot believe he stooped so low to do that toothbrush gag. <laughs> Again, something even Richard Lester was think was too on the nose. Right. Let's cut that. Let's do another comic button on the scene. <laughs> Did you also uh, think, by the way, when... So, you know, Lois Lane takes her child to an investigation, so... Well, that is something that's consistent with the other Superman movies. Her, her reckless disregard for human life that's true. has continued into motherhood. Yeah. <laughs> she undoes her, she takes she a kid with her, her seatbelt in the attempt to try to help somebody else during the airplane crash. Yeah. And finds herself knocked around the air cabin so much that she would have broken her neck and be dead. But, but well, she, this so is, she this... takes her child yeah. there and they get caught and. This yacht is going to, you know, the scene of the crime. Convenient. When, when Kevin Spacey leaves the room with all the henchmen but one, was that mm-hmm. not oddly violent when he starts throwing her around the room? Absolutely. I mean, it just looked so out of place. Well, th- th- I mean, you... Not that, not that you never realize this but you realize the job that hackman is doing in when you see other people try to play lex luther yeah right because it's if you if you don't get the balance just right between his charming side and his his kind of more Maniacal traditionally side. villainous yeah, side right. his violent side it it just you know it it's just it's just associate, you know. It's just his character from Seven or Usual Suspects, or <laughs> you know. It's like, right. um, and you, know, I'm sure we've said that before, but it is, you know, I do at least expect the actor playing Lex Luthor to try to live up to some part of Gene Hackman's legacy. And, right. Uh, Here's a good. I mean, may- maybe that was another instruction: was like, just don't take any lessons from Gene Hackman. Do your own thing. Your you own want an thing, Oscar. Right. People seem to like you. They haven't found out all the stuff you've done yet. Run with this. <laughs> Let me ask you this important question. You have to pick one, Lex Luthor. Do you prefer Kevin Spacey or Jesse Eisenberg? <laughs> you know what? For one, I don't know why I, I thought... That's I don't know why I thought you would Sophie's be this choice. nice. But I really thought you were going to ask me to choose between Hackman and... <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's got to be Eisenberg. Yeah, I think you might be right, but that's saying something, man. Well, in in line with the... I also think, you know, you're absolutely right to say that that, that his, his violence and his sociopathy is just so adult. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that comes back to that, you know, he's the... He's the the Jewish characters in Passion of the Christ, right? <laughs> He's the you you have to make that because because uh, 
Brandon Ruth's Superman is Jesus and he has to suffer, you have to have the absolute worst antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, and he even looks like the devil, Mel Gibson's devil from that movie, who is also like bald right. and smooth. Yeah, right. So I wonder whether, you know, Brian Singer's looking at you trying to peel off some of that Passion of the Christ money. Actually, it's funny you say that because um, Jim Caviezel lobbied pretty hard to be Superman. And the biggest uh, reason he didn't get it was because of Passion of the Christ. Like Singer didn't... <laughs> I, I would say that is a reason to cast him for this movie. <laughs> right. Well, Singer thought he was too famous because of that movie to be in this movie. He wanted a more of an unknown. He wanted to do a Christopher Reeve thing that they did for the original Superman. Well, he obviously, he wanted a mannequin to dress up like Christopher Reeve. Right. That's what he means by unknown. He wants to do cosplay with Brandon Ruth. And Brandon Ruth has brown eyes, so they had to give him blue contacts. and Which gives him this weird kind of Robert De Niro and Irishman cat's eye Yeah, thing. exactly. Um, it's very strange. Well, let's, we've been going pretty hard on this movie. Yes. Is there anything you like about this movie? Like you, I like Parker Posey. And she's so good. I mean, she is great. Yeah. If James Marsden had a more important role, this is this is the ex- That's exactly what I think. Yeah. I, uh, James Marsden, I've talked about this on the other on the How Dare You podcast with movies around this time where you have two competing men, essentially, for one woman, Mm -hmm. but they're not Mm -hmm. trying to make either one a bad man. I like that. I'm okay with that, but... I like that a lot. That's one of the saving graces of this movie for me. But that also means that there's not as much tension. If 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 at the very least they had made more out of... You're in love with a man, you think he's dead, you fall in love with another man, and now the first man comes back. Mm-hmm. That's an actual real dilemma for, for somebody. Yeah, if, but, if that man is if that man is not Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who you're going to be like. You know, it, it just occurs to me that, you know, we basically had that same exact storyline for Castaway. And the, that movie resolves it in 10 minutes, and this movie has it last for an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, I, I, w- what I appreciated, uh, I actually think James Marsden's perfectly good in this movie. He is. In spite of everything that's going on around him. And I like, I like the character. I like the fact that he is represented wholly positively. Um. I would have liked him to have emerged as the he- the the hero of the movie, and it be a way for human beings to learn that actually we can look after ourselves, you know, right. with with good humans. Because so far in the as we've talked about, so far in the Superman movies, every single human being is a piece of shit. Right. And in this movie, I He's like not that a that piece of shit. That, I do like that. You're right about led that. Led by James Marsden, it seems that that human beings can look after themselves. But it's like does, even when Superman he does more saving than Superman in this movie. Yeah, and I like that. But I wish he'd emerged as the hero, and that Lois would have oh, decided to stay I, with I, him. I do have a note here that uh, says 
somebody says, um, well, I guess it's when he, they find out that the uh, the location of Lois when she sends the fax. Yeah. Fax is played oh, Yeah, the first and movie. last time a fax-based rescue plan has appeared yeah. in a movie. Um, but he says, tell... He says, tell Perry I'm taking the seaplane. Uh-huh. I don't understand. Does the paper have a seaplane? <laughs> is that the is that, is that They just wanted him the basically they, they wanted him they wanted him to fly, so again, and I think that's the movie aside from the clunkiness of that, does that's a good move because it's like, well no, yeah, yeah. if I could if I can fly a plane and save people, and you're all vulnerable because the world is now mainly kryptonite. Am I kind of the hero of this movie? Right. And I like that, and then they back away from it. And but I they like back the fact away that... from it so much that it's Kate Bosworth's Lois Lane that dives to the depths of the ocean to go get Superman while he just sits on the top of the seaplane, right. hoping his wife doesn't drown. I like I like that they they never you know that they never. He just steps aside at the end, which is consistent with his character, and it also keeps human beings in, in you know, good faith. Mm-hmm. That like, you know, he's just an all-round good guy. Uh, who is in every conceivable way better than both Superman and Clark Kent, who in this movie is a selfish prick. Yeah, both iterations. Yeah. It begins with him going to space to get some debris <laughs> for what? For his collection? What? I mean, what? What? Like, you? If there's one thing I know about Krypton, Supergirl aside, it's that it blew up. Right. <laughs> and this movie begins. I mean, we, we, you know, we laughed when we did the Supergirl movie about. You know they didn't want they didn't, couldn't get Christopher Reeve to be in the movie, so he has to go off on a space-based peace mission. This is the mission. This is I think that's what you, you the, think that's the same mission. Yes, yes, I do. Sadly, I think Martha has already died in that timeline. So, oh, all right. I don't think I don't think it counts. I would love it if that debris he brings back from um, from blown up Krypton contained inner space where Supergirl or and Supergirl. Peter Girl, yeah. <laughs> But he's a. Also, what's kind of interesting is like, I don't think they're going from. Well, I don't know. This movie confuses me because when he is stalking Lois Lane, like he's hovering outside her house, right, in the sky, they have this ominous music, like you would have for a like a for like a, a story like, like a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, so is every so is everyone just. Does Brian Singer not know that stalking is not not okay, not a heroic trait? <laughs> yeah, right. And that's what I came down to in the end. It's like, well, everything we've learned about him and Kevin Spacey since shows me that he's got a broken playing, mo- moral compass. <laughs> yeah, they're br- they're bringing their light. You know, they're bringing what they know about the world to these characters. Yeah. Um, we didn't get very far in things that we liked, did we? <laughs> no, we did not. <laughs> no, so but but just I mean Parker Posey. It's difficult for people to remember, but I remember when she was the queen of American independent cinema. Oh, yeah, of course. In the mid-90s, she did a bunch of, like a cluster of movies that were like, you know, the epitomes of American independent cinema. She's in, I think, 
pretty much all the Christopher Guest movies. Yeah. Christopher Guest uh, mockumentary Mockumentaries. Movies. And she's like, I call her Pathos Posey because she's like, she's Christopher Guest's pathos person. Like, you want to bring pathos into a right. mockumentary movie. She does it all. Yeah. And she's brilliant. And here she's been given a, a you know, a surrogate role, mm-hmm. to go back to our terminology. Because yes. uh, she's not Eve. She's Kitty. Right. Who I assume is an original comic book character, and I don't want to even look up if she's not, because if she's not, there right. is no excuse but for this being the same character. She is this movie's Miss Tessmacher. Right, who has exactly the same character arc. Right. But it 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 shows like like how good she is in this movie versus how terrible everyone and everything else is. <laughs> that when she's right. flying with Superman, I thought why the fuck did they not cast Parker Posey as Lois as Lane? As Lois Lane, right. Exactly. I had the same thought. And it looks right. When she's flying with him, I'm like, this looks right. Yeah. And she can act. And she's competent. And she and knows how to play matter, but a limited she character. she looks like Margot Kidder. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> she knows how to play a limited character. Yeah. I also, it, well, the other thing that confused me about that, because that's classic rebooting continuity you know, having a, a new character who plays exactly the same role as as a previous character with a different name played by a different actor. But they don't even try to recast Otis. No, yeah. And, you know, I certainly think... Cal Penn, Ned... not Otis. <laughs> I, I certainly think that, you know, anything Ned Beatty had done is sacrosanct and shouldn't be messed with. I believe that. But I also believe that about Gene Hackman. So what's so special about Otis? <laughs> <laughs> that he doesn't get a surrogate in this movie. Yeah. Except, I mean, Cal Penn is the closest. Uh, but Cal Penn was supposed to have a bigger role. He was supposed to be. <laughs> he was supposed <laughs> to. He was supposed to be a reporter that tricked Superman into going to his home planet. Well, that sounds great. So, he, <laughs> yeah, right. That sounds like a movie I'd want to watch. So, yeah, that was how, because you, ha- you have that whole sort of nonsense storyline about uh, Superman not showing up for Lex Luthor's uh, parole hearing, I believe it was. Well, that's another thing they stole from Superman 3, this idea that, you know, the um, local the metropolis local government is the reason that any crime happens. Yeah. They released. They released. Uh, unemployment released Gus Gorman upon an, unspe- <laughs> an unsuspecting world, and now they they the courts have sent Lex Luthor back into decent oh society. God. All right, I, I um I don't have anything else to say about this movie. Um. Other than, what a fucking disappointment. Yeah. And. Well, we we talked about how the whole Superman is dead, putting Superman, you know, make Superman being critically injured is lifted from Quest for Peace, but also not sure there's any logic putting Superman in a hospital bed. Right. Would those doctors know how to treat him? They show us, obviously, that they don't. They try to put IVs into him and the needles bend and break. I can't believe they were able to so easily get his his outfit off I thought they would try to cut it and wouldn't be able to <laughs> mm-hmm. as yeah so the only the one of the things I'm just recalling one of the things I liked about this movie when it first came out 
was the the through line of fathers and sons and um the way that the one of the reasons I don't completely hate the child storyline what you say is absolutely true mm -hmm. it's problematic it also it's a huge corner for the writing yeah but uh i liked the i that's why i like the idea because i thought this movie is about fathers and sons okay. like from the very beginning the one of the first things we hear in in with three different types of recapping at the top of the movie yeah right you know it's like little boy penis eat your heart out <laughs> um that this that it was at least thematically consonant, despite uh, how problematic it is as a piece of writing, and something about the reason I asked did did you think this was this was meant to be a one off, is because that's the only way I make sense of Superman's last line, where he says I'm always around. I'm always around. <laughs> it's the most equivocal thing you could possibly say. It's like there might not be another movie. Right. But Superman as an idea is still here. <laughs> I took it more as I'll be watching you from outside your building like a fucking creep. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. I forgot this movie was directed by a sex predator for that moment. Of course. You solved right. that problem. Let's finish it there. For Tom's... Can I do a can I do a brief credit check? All right. Quickly. Very very brief. The people the people demand it. Uh, Christopher and Dana Reeve. Yeah, I'll do fast. Christopher and Dana Reeve get a dedication. Yeah. To smooth things over with his state for stealing his performance. <laughs> uh, the closing credits are done in a plain fashion, which is bizarre. Yes. Why recreate the titles, not the credits? I didn't know you had to acknowledge Clark's third law when you only use it in dialogue. <laughs> and funny, the movie was shot in Australia since the. Yes. Lex Luthor tries to become the ruler of Australia and Superman, and Superman too. too. That's all I have. All right. I uh I noted that about Australia and there's just there was always something off about the movie and it's because they built a fucking farm in the barren landscape of Australia somewhere. They like Don't tell me they made Eva Marie Saint go to Australia on top of not using her in the movie. They did. Fucking hell. So, yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's Superman Returns, our 100th episode. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. Stay tuned for the next 100 episodes. We'll be back next week with an all-new series. Say goodbye, Tom. You're losing your hair? <laughs> Great. All right. Take care, everyone. We'll be back soon. <laughs> <laughs>